So we're in Genesis 24, 5. The servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the land you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household in my native land and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife from my son there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master, Abraham, and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. So just pausing real quick, it's very important for Abraham that his son marry uh, someone within his clan. Uh, It's the same notion, the same idea not to marry uh, a non-Christian in in the New Testament. that You should marry someone within the family of God. So this is the idea, verse 10. Then the servant left, taking with him 10 of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram Naharaim and made his way down to Nahor. He had the camels kneel down uh, the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, she says, drink and I'll water water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my Lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands to give him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the woman watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing 10 shekels. Then he asked, whose daughter are you? Please tell me. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the son uh, Milcah bore to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed and worshiped the Lord saying, praise be to the God or the Lord, the God of my master, Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. The young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now, Rebecca had a brother named Laban. Important to remember Laban. He's going to come up later a lot. Now, Rebecca had a brother named Laban, and he hurried out to the man at the spring. As soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, he had heard Rebecca tell uh, what the man had said to her. He went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord, he said. Why are you standing out here? I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. Uh, we'll stop in verse 31. So you can kind of feel the tension. One of my, uh, I really like some old romantic comedies. I like a lot of uh, the old classic ones. Uh, but one of my favorite ones 
um, to go back and watch, especially during Christmas time, is You've Got Mail, which is really dated at this point, which is kind of funny, but it's uh, AOL Messenger. And it's these two people who are messaging each other in New York, but they don't know it's each other, right? They don't, uh, but they're friends, but they don't know they're messaging each other. But what's interesting about this chapter is that Abraham says, all right, go find a woman for my son. So the servant is like very specific. Okay, well, what if she doesn't want to come back? What if she doesn't want to leave her family? Then what, then what next? And Abraham says, I'm, I'm pretty confident that God's going to work it out for her to come back. So he goes and he, he does something interesting. He says, all right, God. Um, he goes to the well. A well is an important place in the Bible. There's a lot of meetings at wells. People like to congregate near water, obviously, especially in deserts. So there's, there's a well. So he goes, all right, listen, God, if, if this is the woman you want for Isaac, make it clear, right? Make it clear. How would, how would it be clear? Well, she would, uh, she would show, she would exhibit hospitality. What was Sarah known for? Hospitality. So it would be a woman of, of hospitable nature. That's what he's looking for. God, make it clear. If this woman's hospitable, then we got, I think we're, we're in a good place. Now, the servant's still not sure. But he puts the nose ring in and he gives her the bracelets. And so she comes home and her brother Laban knows what's up. He sees her comes, come back and, and Laban understands, okay, somebody wants my sister for betrothal, for marriage. And by the way, this guy is by himself with 10 camels. There's not 10 people with him. No, he just brought 10 camels to show what, where he's coming from and what he's got, that he's going to take care of my sister. So Laban understands like, and you'll see Laban try to kind of milk it for all it's worth. He's going to want to try to get as much money as he can out of this. Now, back then, of course, arranged marriages, you had to, you had to make a payment, right? Uh, and then you also had to prove that you could take care of this girl. So you usually, usually want to show you had wealth and security to take care of this girl. Much like any father today, as his daughter's boyfriend comes home and he says, you know, do you have a job, right? I mean, are you going to take care of my daughter, right? Is the sense that every father wants, wants to make sure. In this case, it's Laban, the brother. But the tension's building because the servant's still not sure. And they're gonna have, we're going to have this great dinner scene where we're going to kind of feel it out, what's going on here. So in verse 32, so the man went to the house and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought for the camels and water for him and his men to wash their feet. Then food was set before him, but he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. He's come a long way, but he's not going to eat until he says what he has to say. All right, then speak up, says Laban, I'm hungry. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly and he has become wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle, silver and gold, male and female servants, camels and donkeys. My master's wife, Sarah, had borne him a son in her old age and he has given him everything he owns. And my master made me swear an oath and said, you must not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in in whose land I live, but go to my father's family, to my own clan, and get a wife for my son. Then I asked my master, what if the woman will not come back? He replied, the Lord before whom I have walked faithfully will send his angel with you and make your journey a success so that you can get a wife from my son, from my own clan, and from my father's family. You will be released from my oath if when you go to my clan, they refuse to give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. When I came to the spring today, I said, Lord, God of my master Abraham, if you will, please grant success to the journey on which I've come. See, I am standing beside the spring. If a young woman comes out to draw water and I say to her, please, uh, let, me give a, let me get a little water from your jar. And if she says to me, drink, and I'll draw water for your camels too, let her be the one the Lord has chosen for my master's son. Before I finished praying in my heart, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She went down to the spring and drew water. And I said to her, please give me a drink. 
She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I'll water your camels too. So I drank, and she watered the camels also. I asked her, whose daughter are you? As if it wasn't good enough that she was hospitable, I asked, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, son of Nahor, whom Milcah bore to him. Then I put the ring in her nose, the bracelets on her arms, and I bowed down and I worshiped the Lord. I praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me on the right road to get the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me. If not, tell me, so I may know which way to turn. I love that. You should use that more often in conversations. If you're going to do the right thing and be like God, let me know. If not, I'll just leave. You know, I love that, by the way, by the servant here. It's a little bit of a Puts them in a corner. I guess they only have one way to answer. Laban and Bethuel answered, this is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here's Rebecca. Take her and go and let her become the wife of your master's son as the Lord has directed. When Abraham's servant heard what they had said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. Then the servant brought out gold and silver jewelry and articles of clothing and gave them to Rebecca. He also gave costly gifts to her brother and to her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up the next morning, he said, send me on my way to my master. But her brother and the mother replied, let the young woman remain for us 10 days or so, then you may go. But he said to them, do not detain me now that the Lord has granted success to my journey. Send me on my way so I can go to my master. Then they said, let's call the young woman and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? I will go, she said. So they sent their sister Rebecca on her way, along with her nurse, Abraham's servant and his men, and they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the cities of their enemies. Then Rebekah and her attendants got ready, mounted the camels, went back with the man. So the servants took Rebekah and left. Now Isaac, you know, Isaac enters the scene here. Now Isaac had come from Beher Lahai Roy, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate. Hashtag meditation, quiet time strategy. He went out to the field to meditate. And as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. That's cool. Because you know Isaac knows what's about to happen. He knows who's coming over the horizon, right? And so um, it says he saw camels approaching. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. She took and covered her face with her veil, right? She's like, okay, I can't let him see me as it was uh, honorary back then, not let your spouse, uh, an arranged marriage is to see you until the wedding day. So she covers herself, right? Uh, He is my master, so she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife and he loved her. That's how it works in arranged marriages, by the way. Wife first, love second. She became his wife and then he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Woo, we did it. I love this passage. This is a great chapter. Um, As tempting as it would be to kind of skip over sections, you got to read the whole thing. Um, But tonight, what I wanted to share briefly was try to distill this into one kind of main point for us today. There's a lot going on here. There's the great example of Rebecca. Obviously, she's an incredible woman, Um, says that she's a, a very chaste woman. She's obviously been sexually pure. She's uh, no man has touched her. She, she approaches the well. Not only does the servant say, please give me a little to drink. Uh, she gives all that he can drink. And she waters uh, uh, 10 camels, which is a lot of camels to water. Uh, but she's very hospitable. 
And as we kind of move on, this is the kind of the, the handing off of the baton from Abraham's story to the story of Isaac. Abraham, with his last wish, says, go find my son a suitable wife um, to his servant. And so in Genesis 24, which we read already, we have this woman here, Rebecca, who gives, gives water to the servant. And then she waters the camels on top of that. You just think about how many camels there are and what she does. But obviously, she's a woman of great kindness. And what kind of woman that is, the, 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 the fact that her kindness is what was attractive and why the servant wanted to bring her in. But what's beautiful about this passage is not so much the, the Rebecca and how great she is, and she really does show a great heart. But it's this servant. It's this little servant. And I don't think we ever get his name, but it's this servant. And he's sent on this mission. And he, what, maybe before I say, what did you guys notice about this guy throughout the entire story? What stood out to you about this servant and his, and what, his demeanor, how he was acting throughout the whole story? Anybody want to share what stood out to you about this guy? Nicole. He never focused on himself or what he wanted or felt. Never. Never focused on himself. He's always concerned about his master's duty. What, yeah, what his master will, uh, directed him to do. What else do you notice, Rob? Um, he was into the specific details. He wanted clarity. On yes. It's a great point. Sometimes when we get advice from somebody and it's really general, we use the generality to do what we want. He goes, well, let me just, let me just make sure I know what you re- exactly what you want me to do here. Right, he wants specifics so we can follow it to the best of his ability. What else do you notice? He's prayerful. Great point. Before he acts, he prays. What did you say, Tom? He's on a mission. I love this guy. They set out food. He's like, before we eat. And Laban's like, oh. Go ahead with it then. I'm, I'm hungry. But he, before we eat, I'm going to... i got to tell you something. Yeah, Larry. He honored his master's God. Yes, he, yes, exactly. Abraham walked faithfully with God, so the servant did. He honored his master's God. Anything else we see? I think it's amazing that the, how driven this guy is. He wakes up the next morning. And by the way, he doesn't go into dinner. This is an intimidating situation. Like in order to convince a family to let their daughter go with the guy they just met, but he, he approaches it beautifully and skillfully. Like he had this planned out. He was like, hey, by the way, I was looking for a great girl. I didn't just find a great girl. I found an awesome woman of God, your daughter. And I was sort of hopeful that she might be in some way part of Abraham's clan. She's not some random uh, distant cousin. She's a direct cousin of Abraham. This is awesome. God has set this up. This is so, this is totally God's work. And the fact that he could even see God's hand in it, and he can even say, this is not our doing, this is God's doing. I, one of the things I, I love about being in the full-time ministry is that there are very clear things in the Bible about what to do. So when people ask, I can give very clear direction. One of the things that's not as clear, especially today, that we don't do as, as you can tell is, is romance. Romance today is very different than it was back then, obviously. Now, um, in South India today, actually, they still do arranged marriages, um, as this is obviously an arranged marriage. But uh, on wedding invites, to this day in South India, uh, it says, God has willed it. Basically, this is God's will, which is pretty cool, this idea of this arranged marriage. But what's interesting about this passage, about this, about romance and about this, I think it's so cool, is that it's so obvious that it's God's will. 
And one of the things is I was getting a lot of advice that I was, I was sort of tripping over myself trying to figure out, okay, who, how do I know which girl to pursue? And when I was a single guy, like, how do I know which sister is going to be best for me? And how do I know what to say, what not to say? And all the insecurity that comes with, you know, male-female relationships and even building romantically. I had a problem where I got so insecure, I just tried to put it all into my own hands. I tried to make it happen on my own. I tried to just do what I wanted to do out of my insecurity, just basically, and then... It was my choice and forced the guy who discipled me at the time said, you got to leave room for God to make his will known, because then you can say this is God's will, not mine. Then you have security of God's made it clear instead of no Drew just made it happen. And I feel I feel like I see that here, that God has made it clear. And even the servants is like, if you're not going to see this, I'm seeing it. God is working in this situation. And this is an incredible servant. And I began to think about us and our own role today as servants, because we are called to be servants, right? We are called to, we have a master. When we say Jesus is Lord at our baptism, we are saying Jesus is Lord. He is my master. He is my king, right? He is my everything. And I began to think about this guy is so locked in. He's so dutiful. I think we could say a good word is dutiful. He's, he knows the sense of duty. And there's, a, I think uh, for people in this room, maybe some of you have actually served in, in a, in a, in a maybe in a line of work that, that has a very strong sense of duty. But what is the motivation for, a strong, for, for duty, usually? And anybody can answer. When you think about duty, what gives someone a sense, what gives someone motivation to have duty? Does that make sense? What motivates that? Pride. Pride in what? Okay. Yeah, yeah, Larry. Yes, the duty to honor the superior officer, right? Yeah, Rob. Same thing, right? Yeah, Zali. Love for your boss. Yeah, yes, totally. To bring, we gotta. I gotta. I I have to do this my best on this project or on this work, or I have to stand my post because somebody's relying on me and people are relying on me, right? Was there there one more? Yeah, Will. Yeah, if I don't. If I, someone else could die or someone else could be hurt, if I don't do my duty. And I began to think that, that that's all very true. And in a lot of ways, it kind of boils down to two things. I think we can have, a, as Christians, we can have a strong sense. We can have a dutiful sense of, I got to do this. I got to have a quiet time. I should share my faith. I shouldn't look at that website. I should be at church early. I should, I should, I should. And usually it comes down to kind of two motivators. A lot of times it's, it's a fear of if I don't, then what kind of person am I? Or if I don't, what will people say about me? If I don't, well, I'll let people down. But you can tell with this servant, he really just wanted to bring honor to his master. And I'll tell you how I know. In the beginning, it says his master was Abraham. Who's his master at the end? He says, there's my master. Who is he talking about? Isaac. Where's Abraham? It's most likely passed away. Now, I, it's amazing that the servant is away from his master. He doesn't cut corners. He doesn't try to trick him. I found this girl. She's just like we talked about. She's related to you, I promise. He doesn't do any of that, right? Like, even though his master's not there, he still does his best. And that's something we all strive for with Jesus. Is even though it can seem like, okay, where's Jesus? Or like, we can feel like he's not here. Or we, we don't do our, we only do our best when maybe other disciples are around. We only do our best when people are watching. It's like, uh, you know, you have your, 
you're on your phone, then like your mom walks in, you open your Bible real quick, right? You know, like, hey, I'm just reading here, you know, but like you only really do it when people are around. But the inspiring thing about this servant, he doesn't, he does it to honor Abraham, even as his last will and testament. That this was his last, this was his dying wish. Bring my son an amazing daughter. Bring him someone who's going to be host- who's going to be like his mom. How cool is that? That she's going to be like Sarah. And she's going to be hospitable. She's going to take care of people. And I, I think for us as Christians to this day, uh, we can, I want to encourage us to think about our duty as Christians. What is God's will and what is our duty this week? Do you even know God's will? And what is your motivation? Because I think duty is a really good thing. I think sometimes we can think, oh, I shouldn't do it out of duty. No, no, duty is a really good thing. It, it just cut, depends on where the motivation is coming from. Duty is a really good thing because if you're going to be dut- dutiful about anything, we don't know where this servant's coming from or who, his background. Um, but you can tell he, doesn't, he loves his master. Maybe Abraham saved him. Maybe Abraham, Abraham took care of him. Maybe Abraham, you know, a lot of slaves are brought into households to be taken care of or servants for that matter. But I began to think about wells, and I began to think about other wells in the Bible. What other wells come to mind in the Bible? How about with Jesus? The woman at the well. Now, Jesus also bumps into a woman at the well. Jesus also, in John 4, asks for a drink. What's interesting, the difference is that Rebecca seems very much um, earned the right to be chosen. She's pure, she's kind, she's this great young lady. The woman at the well, remember her? Jesus asked for a drink. What does she say? The well is deep. (laughs) It's hard. The well is deep and I have nothing to draw with. And Jesus says, well, if if you knew who you're talking to, I'd, I'd give you water. And she goes, I don't know if you're talking about, man. She's obviously not Rebecca. <laughs> and then he goes, bring your husband. Remember how many husbands she has, has had in the last few years? She said five. So Jesus interacts with a woman who's not pure, a woman who's not hospitable, a woman who frankly has no reason to be called a Christian. And I love that in, here in this story, we're inspired by this example of Rebecca. But we have a master in Jesus who has, if we're going to have a duty of anything, we're going to, we have the duty to love and a duty to be grateful. Because, when, because the reality is, is that we are all like the woman at the well. None of us are Rebecca. We're all the woman at the well. We're all impure. We're all grumpy. We all complain. We all struggle. But Jesus still went up to you. He still interrupted your life. And he still said, I want you with me. It doesn't matter that you're not Rebecca. It doesn't matter that you're failing. It doesn't matter that you're still addicted to pornography. It doesn't matter that you're really struggling to be a great wife. It doesn't matter that you have anger problems. It doesn't matter that you struggle with that sin for years. It doesn't matter that you're selfish all the time. Those things will change. I just want you to know I love you and I choose you. And church, I want to encourage us, if we're going to be dutiful about anything, be dutiful about gratitude. If you leave every morning of you know, who's my master? Who's my Lord? He's the guy that chose me, even though, man, I had five husbands. I have, man, I was messed up. Even though I was selfish, I was, even the woman at the well, she's pretty prejudiced. She's got some racial prejudice there 
And Jesus kind of works through that. I mean, she's got issues. She's got sin there, right? In John 4. And Jesus is still helping her, still helping her through it. That's us, though. We have prejudices. We look up, we look down on people for being different than us. Like we, if we're going to be dutiful about anything, it's not, man, like we really, we have to really go serve, serve because we're the best. No, we have to go serve because Jesus called us. So we should call others. And let's be dutiful about being grateful that we have a master in Jesus who came up to the well, not, not inspecting us for how good or bad we are, but calling us despite who we are. And so as we go about our week and we can look at this servant and go, wow, what a great servant. I think we should strive to be like the servant in every way. Um, I think we should. But I, I, I didn't want us to be able to go about that with the wrong heart of trying to do this without being grateful. Because when you're, when you're dutiful about being grateful, all the things that stop you from doing the little things fall away, right? Oh, I can't share my faith. I'm just a... Who, who, what married couple would want to study the Bible with me? I'm a single mom. My marriage fell apart. Who cares? You have a God. You have a God who saved you. You have a gift. I'm just a single dad. Who's going to, I'm just a, a young person. I'm just, I'm a little older. I'm not that cool. I don't have a lot of time. I'm overwhelmed right now. Who cares? You don't have to be Rebecca to be called by Christ. You just have to be called. And then you can say, who cares? I'm, yes, I will invite somebody to church. I can do that because Jesus is my guy. Jesus is my master. And when we're dutiful about bringing honor to our superior officer, the little things become easy. And we don't have to worry about all these things that we can worry about. And I can be in the same boat. But uh, I want to encourage this church with that same, with that same challenge. I think we are really good as a church for the most part. I think we've gotten a lot better. I think we're really good at us. When we, when we are together, we're really loving. We're really kind and we're, we're really good at being together. I think one of the things that, that's kind of the next bump, I think the next uh, notch of maturity for us as a church is being able to not just bring people, invite people to events that are already happening, but invite people into our homes. A gasp went over the whole room. Invite people into our homes. And I know it can be really scary of like, okay, I got to get, I got to go to Wegmans. I got to go to Food Line and get the rotisserie chicken. And I got to make sure the kids are okay. I got to get babysitting. I got to get this. And if, but just do it. It's okay if things are not all perfect. We're not, it's not about being perfect. It's just about, if we are all just, you know what? We're just doing our best here to please God. Um, Jesus didn't, you know, Jesus didn't inspire us because he's got it all together. In fact, you know, most of his life was, I mean, I don't know, single guy killed in a pretty humiliating way. Not a lot of friends or followers, but he still inspired us because he loved. And so I think for us as a church, this, my hope is this, at the second half of the year is that we can love all the more and bring people into our homes for Bible studies to take someone through the Bible study series on our own to convert somebody without the ministers being in the Bible studies. I want to challenge the church. Can you imagine? Hasn't happened in a long time to baptize somebody without the ministers being in the Bible studies. That's crazy to think about. But you can do it because you're disciples and you have the Holy Spirit. And if you've met me, I'm not that awesome. I just have a little more free time than you do. So does Jenny. All right. But if you, we can do it. If we, what, what could the church look like if we to set up D times to, to do all those things together and to see what we can do as the Blue Ridge Church as we 
mature all the more. Um, I wanted to close out with 